I've really been touched by all of the elements that have been part of the lives of people in Okinawa. I've been touched by the ravages that war had on their families. And this is a tender time to think that the Lord has chosen Okinawa, Japan to be a place for His house, the house of the Lord with holiness to the Lord. And when you think about holiness to the Lord and what that demands of each of us, kindness and unity and love and respect, charity, it's everything that we hope could happen to redeem people from the horrific things that were suffered. This is Sarah Jane Weaver, Executive Editor of The Church News, welcoming you to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On Sunday, November 12th, Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles dedicated the Okinawa Japan Temple, the fourth temple in Japan for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. While the first missionaries arrived in Tokyo in the early 1900s, the church didn't have a presence in Okinawa until the 1940s, when World War II brought American servicemen to the area. On August 14, 1955, Elder Joseph Fielding Smith, then of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, formally dedicated Okinawa for the preaching of the gospel. President Russell M. Nelson announced a temple for Okinawa during April 2019 General Conference. Elder Stevenson has a rich history in the nation. Where he served as a young missionary, Okinawa was actually part of his mission. He later returned to Japan for business, to serve as a mission president, and to serve in the area presidency and then as area president. He joins this episode of the Church News Podcast to talk about his love for Japan and its people and the rich blessings of the temple. So, Elder Stevenson, you're called as a young man to go to Japan to serve. Tell us about your feelings when you first opened that call and you couldn't have glimpsed the history you'd have in that nation at that moment. So, Yeah, you're right. I was called uh, as a young missionary in 1974, and I had no idea, really, that Japan as a place where I might serve as a missionary was not on my radar screen at all. Uh, I was called to the Japan Fukuoka Mission, and uh, I just absolutely loved my service there. Now, the Fukuoka Mission is southern Japan, and so it includes the island of Kyushu, but it also includes the Ryukyu Islands, of which Okinawa is a part. And so I actually served on a small island north of Okinawa, between Okinawa and mainland Japan, Amami Oshima, uh, when I was a young missionary. There's really quite a difference uh, in the culture and the feeling of people and society on the islands. And so uh, this is uh, just a unique opportunity for me now to be back in Japan in a place that was part of my mission as a young missionary uh, with the island people of Japan and uh, to see really miraculous, an absolute dream come true for them to think about having a temple on the island of Okinawa. And, and Okinawa 
is a place that has mixed history. You know, uh, so much of its history is defined by World War II. Yeah. Uh, the church also kind of got its roots after the war. So in just the years since then, to now have this great symbol of peace on, on the island is miraculous. Can you talk about what the temple will mean to the members there? Well, it is miraculous now. Uh, we think about the temple district that will be Okinawa, and we have the stake of Okinawa there, Japanese people that have been longing to have a temple on their island for generations now. And we have the Okinawa military district also that's there. And we still have a lot of uh, military personnel who are stationed uh, in Okinawa. And so we we have the district and the stake that are coming together. And there's a, there's a fabulous sense of, of unity that they feel together. They've been attending the same buildings and uh, in the same buildings and when worshiping together and somehow uh, language and culture has not been a barrier and to be able to have the temple and to have the history that is part of both of those groups come together in a temple and the unity that they feel together is really quite a remarkable thing and so we'll be able to have a dedicatory session in Japanese and a dedicatory session in English. And so members will be able to kind of attend a session in the language of their hearts. Before the dedication on Sunday, we have a member meeting uh, on Friday night, which includes all of the members of the uh, of both the district and the stake that will be gathered together. And so... It's quite an interesting thing to see the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ navigated its way through difficulties, through cultural differences, through language, to find itself established on the island of Okinawa and to think about the blessings that are coming to those people on the other side of the veil that have been anxiously uh, awaiting and looking forward to a time when when a temple would be part of the Church of Jesus Christ, the restored Church of Jesus Christ in Okinawa. Now, the Okinawa Temple is one of many temples in Japan. It'll be the fourth dedicated, the fifth that President Nelson has announced. Can you talk about temple work for the Japanese people? Well, the Japanese people, maybe as much as anyone in the whole earth, revere temples. They're a temple-going society. It's part of their culture to be able to attend a temple. Any holiday in Japan is nearly assuredly going to include at some point in that holiday, a visit to a local temple or shrine. Well, this culture has extended itself and blended with our temple-going culture as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. When we consider Kirtland and and Nauvoo and the early temples uh, in Utah and the great joy that temple worship and service brought to the early members of the church here. Well, this is happening in Japan. Of course, the the Tokyo Temple was dedicated in 1980. 
And since that time, we've had the Fukuoka Temple. President Nelson, then uh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, dedicated the Sapporo Temple. And now, uh, the Okinawa Temple and the announcement of the Okinawa Temple and its dedication that's scheduled. And then, of course, just last month, uh, President Nelson announced the temple to be built in Osaka, Japan. And so our Japanese saints are blessed and grateful, and we find them as some of the most active temple-going, temple-attending, temple-worshipping Latter-day Saints in the whole world. And so now we have this, this shift where we have people from Okinawa that are going to be able to, without getting on an airplane and flying somewhere, are going to be able to worship in a temple on their island and other islands in the temple district that will be in close proximity to Okinawa. You know, the early Latter-day Saints in Japan longed to go to the temple, and the history, of course, is filled with the planning and chartering of airplanes to be able to fly to the temple in Hawaii to be able to receive their own endowments and then to be able to do ancestral ordinances for others. And such was the case in Okinawa as well. In the early, when the church was established there, when we started seeing Japanese members in the, in the 1950s begin to join the church, and one of the first things they did was to begin with a longing to go to the temple, began to plan, and, and some of those early temple trips that required planning and sacrifice and to be able to to do the work in Hawaii. Now we see five temples that are going to be in Japan. Talk about your own personal history in Japan. After your mission, you returned for business, and then as a mission president, and then as a general authority. Well, I served as a young missionary in Japan and had two years there, and was down. I was in southern Japan and down on the islands. Okinawa was part of our mission. And really, one of the motivations uh, for beginning uh, of my business career was with a friend who who had served a mission in Taiwan, and I had served a mission in Japan. And, and the first thing that we were thinking when we're business students is, what could we do in business that would get us back to the place that we have is such a, a big part of our heart? And for me, that was Japan. And so the international element uh, of our business really had that as the basis, uh, the beginning, and it afforded me the opportunity to be able to be back in Asia and to be with the people that I'd come to love. And and then right in the midst of that uh, business career, to be called to be able to serve Lisa and I as mission leaders in, in Nagoya. And we were there for three years. And so southern Japan, uh, as a young missionary, kind of there in central Japan as as, uh, as mission leaders. And not too long after that, uh, we then were asked to serve uh, again in the area presidency, headquartered in Tokyo, but with, you know, with all of Japan as, as part of the, the Asia North area. And uh, to become familiar with the other parts of Japan, 
which included that whole greater Tokyo area and, and Hokkaido. And, and so it's a part of our lives. It's, I, I feel when people talk about, you know, what they might want to eat, they'll talk about a good steak and, and we'll talk about uh, sushi and rice uh, with a longing and, and miso soup thinking about that more than than other kinds of foods that we might be able to find. And so it has become a, a large part of, of my heart and a large part of the gospel in my life has been enjoyed in Japan. And while you were area president, a huge tsunami hit Japan. From that experience, what did you learn about Japanese resiliency? Well, uh, that was uh, tragic, uh, and we were uh, living in Tokyo at the time of the earthquake and tsunami that came in 2011. Uh, devastation, devastating for them. Uh, more than 20,000 people lost their lives there. Of course, we had missionaries and Latter-day Saints who were populating all up and down that uh, northeastern coastline, and miraculously... Uh, we came through with uh, no missionary fatalities and very, very few uh, member fatalities. But that notwithstanding, a, a lot of our members who were deeply affected by that uh, lost their homes and lost family members. And we were central to the emergency response and recovery it was just remarkable to see the reaction of the church institutionally to address first emergency response issues. And we were early there with the Japan Red Cross and other wonderful uh, uh, groups, uh, NGOs, and, and groups of people who were extending care and, and uh, helping in emergency response. And we were even present much longer in recovery efforts. And this is where uh, we saw the resilience of members of the church, those that were affected in the area, but members of the church who, who really assisted in just the most remarkable ways in, in emergency response. And we had a presence up in that area for 18 months following the earthquake and tsunami. Every single week, there were members of the church who would, if they could get to Tokyo, each week we had busloads of, of members that we would take and we would get them up into the affected areas and they were providing recovery. And, and this was deeply uh, recognized by our friends there in Japan, both the people who lived there and other agencies and and government officials who still feel wonderful expressions, uh, hear wonderful expressions from from our friends over there of, of their gratitude for the presence that, that we had there. Talk about some of your experiences at the dedications of other temples in Japan. Uh, you were in Sapporo with President Nelson. Yeah. Well, this, this was a unique role in Sapporo. I was in the area presidency when when the site analysis began and the and the first presidency uh, had uh, Bishop Davies, uh, the presiding bishopric, come and and involve the area presidency in 
in a site search, uh, uh, which led to us being able to recommend to the First Presidency and and then the groundbreaking that took place there. I was still in the area of Presidency and be able to, was able to conduct the the groundbreaking and and then I was transferred to Salt Lake uh, City and that's when I was in the presiding bishopric and the ground had been broken but now the construction the, and I was involved in the whole uh, construction of the of the Sapporo Temple and then gratefully uh, President Nelson then the president of the Quorum of the Twelve and I a new member of the Twelve invited me to participate with him in the the dedication of the Sapporo Temple. So we kind of saw that from the beginning to the end, and it's it's just a spectacular temple. And, and the members of the church, of course, in northern Japan love it, but even those who aren't members of the church uh, who live in Japan who so deeply appreciate temples, appreciate the Sapporo Temple being there, when we describe to them what happens in a temple in our temples, when we're able to describe things that are sacred to us, ordinances that are sacred to us that include baptism or include an eternal marriage, an endowment that takes place in a holy temple and with ceremonial clothing, this rings so true to them And when we describe to our Japanese friends that we can do this for ourselves, but we can give this gift to deceased ancestors, you just can't imagine the emotion that that has for them to recognize that one of the gifts that we give, that's our most cherished gift, is to our deceased ancestors and that we're able to do that in our holy temples. And so I've not experienced anything quite like this anywhere else in the world where you see the awe and the respect and the reverence that they have as you describe that. And I was able to do that in the temple open house uh, in Tokyo and to do this with with uh, a lot of our friends, many that are prominent in in their professions, in government or law or business or medicine, whatever it was, and they were deeply touched and in many cases brought to tears when we had a chance to describe that in the room where it takes place because they were able to stand there in the temple and in the temple open house. So it's pretty special. And we had the same thing that happened in Okinawa as the temple open house took place there, conducted by the the area presidency and uh, many, many people in Okinawa. And their thoughts and feelings are even more tender and really quite deep because of, of the history that we have in Okinawa. And uh, to think that we can honor those people, many who had untimely deaths that were associated with war, and now something that can bring peace and comfort and unity of heart and mind and respect 
and devotion to our departed ancestors, giving them ancestral ordinances. No, you received this assignment to dedicate the temple by President Nelson. Yes. When, when you got that assignment, what was your feelings? Oh, uh, we, of course, in the 12, we don't seek assignments. We receive assignments. And once we receive the assignments, we joyfully go wherever that assignment leads us. And so this is our life. Uh, when we receive an assignment, we receive it with joy. And we perform it wherever it might be. And and we usually don't have a lot of vision. Uh, in the future, we might get a, a six-month view of what we're going to be doing in the future. Uh, when we receive assignments uh, uh, for a temple dedication, it's a very touching thing. It hasn't uh, been that many years uh, uh, where members of the Twelve have been able to receive assignments to dedicate temples, and those come directly from our dear prophet. And I'll never forget uh, when uh, I received that assignment by letter and opened the letter and and saw that I was going to be able to be in Japan to dedicate a temple. It's it's indescribable joy that I have and uh, truly humbled by it. I'm grateful to be able to Receive that assignment from President Nelson and perform that under his direction. Talk a little bit more about your family's connection to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of all your assignments, you had kids that went to school there that would also love the culture and the language. Lisa certainly has great friends and memories and feelings for this country as well. My memories really go back to when I was a, a young boy myself, uh, growing up in Cache Valley. Uh, one would not expect a, a, a deep connection with uh, international countries, but, but my father was employed at uh, Utah State University. And one of the significant elements at Utah State was the, the presence of a lot of international students. And over the years, many of them from Asia, uh, including Japan. And so I remember as a young boy, even four, five, six years old, international students that would come to our home and a number of those international students in our home that were from Japan and gaining uh, an appreciation for Asia through those experiences that we had as a family and then of course when I was 18 years old receiving my mission call to Japan that just seemed to elevate uh, that the anticipation and uh, created uh, many friendships and associations, and those continued uh, and continued with our family. We were a family that uh, loved the Japanese culture and, and were enjoying all of the elements of the culture, including including our love for, for Asian food and Japanese food, even with our young children growing up. And then, and then we had the whole family, when we received the call to, to Nagoya to serve as mission leaders, the whole family went... We had uh, older boys who were at Utah State and uh, high school and uh, grade school sons that came with us and stayed with us and enrolled in school there. And the rest of the family that that were very close, traveling back and forth there a lot. So it became a family affair. And and, uh, when our service finished in Nagoya then, 
it was just a year later that we uh, moved back to Tokyo and were there for four years. So I've spent I've spent nine years of my life, and and we've got sons now who've been there many years. Lisa lived there seven years herself. I pointed out to her recently that when people ask her where she's from, she says, "Well, I." from Idaho, and I said, do you realize, Lisa, you lived in Japan more years than you lived in Idaho? You could just as easily say, I'm from Japan as I'm from Idaho now. That's kind of how we feel. It's a home for us. As you've pondered and thought about the message you want to share with the saints in Okinawa during the dedication, is there something that has impressed upon you? Well, I've really been touched by all of the elements that have been part of the lives of people in Okinawa. I've been touched by the hardships that they've had. I've been touched by the ravages that war had on their families. And this is a tender time to think that the Lord has chosen Okinawa, Japan, to be a place for his house the house of the Lord with holiness to the Lord. And when you think about holiness to the Lord and what that demands of each of us, it demands kindness and unity and love and respect, charity, brotherly kindness. It's everything that we hope could happen to redeem people from the horrific things that were suffered by the people there. And not only is it for us who are living, but it's also for our deceased ancestors who were some of those that that were right in the midst of those horrific things that took place. And so there's a remarkable sense of, of redemption that happens. The words of President Nelson that we so often hear about gathering Israel on both sides of the veil. It becomes possible because uh, we have temples. Uh, It becomes possible because those restored keys that allow us to, to connect with our ancestors and our posterity, that allow the, the sealing of families. Uh, those are available to us because we have a temple. And all of that is just stirring in my heart in a very special way because of this being able to happen in, in Okinawa, Japan now. Are you comfortable sharing your testimony of the Savior and of temples in Japanese? Well, I'd love to. You know, it was a part of uh, where I lived for so many years. And as I think about a testimony of Jesus Christ... イエスキリストは私たちの救い主であると私は知っています。イエスは生きている者います。God Amen. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. 
I'm your host, Church News Executive Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so it can be accessible to more people. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, my producer Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channels or with other news and updates on the church on thechurchnews.com.